Hello, you beautiful soul. Welcome to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. I'm your co-host, Rachel Varga, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker. If you would like to pick my brain as to all the wonderful ways that we can optimize your skin and rejuvenation journey, book your one-on-one with me. If you would like to work with Katie to optimize your sleep and biohacking journey, book a one-on-one with Katie. You can learn more about booking with us in the show notes of this episode or head on over to beautyandthebiohacker.com and you can find our one-on-one booking links there. Be sure to use promo code BB15 for 15% off of your one-on-one session with Katie or I. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Beauty and the Biohacker. I am your co-host, Katie Moore, and here we're going to explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. And I am your co-host, Rachel Varga. I am a board-certified aesthetic nurse specialist. So Katie and I, we have a pretty cool spin here. We blend both the beauty and the biohacking elements to looking you know, our best. And over 10 years of working with clients and 20,000 rejuvenation procedures later, writing academic articles, there's some really key tidbits of information that we can take, you know, cultivating practices with our body, mind, spirit, energy. So I'm really excited to get into the weeds here about neurohacking. Yes. And today we have a special guest with us from Neurohacker Collective. You may know about this uh, line of supplements called Qualia. And today we actually have Dr. Greg Kelly. He's a naturopathic physician and he's the lead product formulator at Neurohacker and the author of the book Shape Shift. Uh, He was the editor of the journal Alternative Medicine Review and has been an instructor at the University of Bridgeport in the College of naturopathic medicine, where he taught classes in advanced clinical nutrition, counseling skills, and doctor-patient relationships. Now, Dr. Kelly has also contributed to the textbook of natural medicine and has more than 30 journal articles indexed on PubMed. His areas of special interest and expertise include nootropics, of course, anti-aging, and regenerative medicine, as well as the chronobiology of performance and health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Greg. We're so excited to have you. Awesome. So let's dive right in to formulations because this is really where you you shine in this industry and, and you've, you're working with, you know, the, the brand Neurohacker Collective, which has really grown in popularity in, in recent years and has a lot of, you know, um, really positive press around it. So let's talk about how your team has really come up with these blends. And maybe you can even just get into some of the details around the process that happens from conception to the end product. Okay, so the start for me and our team would be really answering three questions. And the first one is, what's the product supposed to do? Second one, we, who is it for? And then the last one is, ultimately, does it work? So all of our like product development steps are basically involved in answering one to all of those questions. So let's start with um, Quality of Mind, our original nootropic. So the you know the goal of that was what we, you would want from a nootropic. So the you know what's it supposed to do? That's support, focus, attention, executive skills, which are things like cognitive flexibility and working memory, and um, 
ultimately, long term, you hope to support memory and what I would call social cognition. So that's your, you know, your empathy and your ability to have better emotional resilience. So once the, the what's it supposed to do is defined, then the who's it for? So if it's for children or teens, that would limit your ingredients more than if it's for healthy adults, as an example. And then ultimately, the did it work? So that's what drew me ultimately to Neurohacker Collective, because they were committed not just to throwing a bunch of things in that sounded like a good idea, but taking those and doing multiple steps of testing if needed on, you know, from N of one with me as an example, maybe starting it to, you know, a big group of maybe 50 to 100 people taking it to make sure it satisfies the did it work step before moving it out into the world to see if it finds you know, an audience in a home. What I wanted to ask you about is, are you as a company looking at potentially, you know, the claims and research around specific nootropic ingredients? And then are you doing research on the final formulation? Because this is where I see skincare products and like the gimmicks come forth. They're using things like vitamin A as an antioxidant, hyaluronic acid as a humectant, and they're making all these claims for products, but they're not researching the final formulation. So tell us a little bit about that. And don't be afraid to nerd out on the chemistry side of things. Sure. So I remember hearing years ago, I was a big fan of a company called New Chapter, um, knew the owner really well. And their tagline in the mid 90s was, we, we start where other supplement companies finish, which, you know, I really thought was true right there. They were more of a food oriented um, in, in terms of their selection of ingredients. And what I um, think is somewhat unique about Neurohacker Collective is we would start from the same place, researching the ingredients, looking all right, so for nootropics, we know caffeine does this, this, and this, you know, so caffeine's really strong at processing speed, reaction times, and alertness. But those are definitely like super strong, but not so great at long-term memory or, you know, aspects of definitely social cognition would not be a strength of caffeine. Um, theanine, which is super um, complementary to caffeine, is much better for what's often referred to as a, like a calm focus or calm energy. It, it tends to take the edge off of, of caffeine, but also helps with focus, um, helps in the general prevent distractibility, which again, caffeine's not necessarily ideal for. And so we would start by like looking at those researches and is a research for all the different potential ingredient items, some which make it into a final formula, and frankly, many of which never do. And then from there, we'd come up with best guesses or hypotheses. So if we put this mini stack together, what might happen? So night's a, a good example for quality night, which is more of our, like an evening nootropic is how I would explain it. It's supposed to set the, the stage for nighttime function, things that your brain needs to do to get a relaxing evening, a quality night's sleep, and ultimately a better next day. So where we started in the evening, you have Adenosine is a super important pathway. So that's that's the pathway that, that caffeine overcomes early in the day. But in the evening, you want not caffeine to you want the adenosine signaling to become stronger. Then melatonin, you know, that's our really our darkness hormone that spikes somewhere, you know, 10 to 11 at night for most people. Then you have GABA, which is really the breaking system of the nervous system. So you want that to start to like slowly break as you head into the evening hours. And then 
one of the big things that prevents people from getting great sleep is hyperarousal. So that's really your nervous system is too active. So that more of a, a, a ongoing nervous system fight or flight response than you would want. So you have all these things that in the evening you would want to be addressing. The morning's almost the flip side of that. So when we developed night, we made mini stacks for each. So we made a melatonin stack and we made an adenosine stack and a GABA stack. And then we mixed and matched. All right, like what if we give these two stacks? Let's test that out and see what happens. And if we, you know, now add a third one in, what happens? So that would be our approach. We don't really do, after the research stage of individual ingredients, we start to combine things in a mini stacks and then mix and match to see if we find a combination that seems to work for a lot of people. Super interesting. And, you know, that kind of led me uh, or led me to think about the kind of testing um, protocol that you guys do once you've developed this, you know, super stack. What to walk us through what that looks like? Are these double blind studies? How many people are taking part in it? Um, you know, how many rounds of testing do you actually do before we see this final formulation come to market? So it's going to vary somewhat depending on the product and how successful we are quickly or unsuccessful we are quickly. But they're not double blind. So we don't do that. Um, we, we just wouldn't have the resources to do it. So what we do is we'll start out with what I would say is the end of one phase. Um, and, and basically that would be me and a handful of other no hacker collective, either employees or friends of the family, so to speak, that we would make up enough for them to do a test. And really, we're looking for two things. We want to make sure that it's well tolerated. So it's the safety piece. And we want to make sure that it's at least in that, that small number of people, it seems to be doing the did it work piece. And if like once we get there, which could take multiple iterations, we may land on it the first time with Qualia Night, I think we did... Uh, say six iterations of that really small scale end of one testing before we move to the next stage. So it's really, it's dependent really, did it, we get the answer we were hoping for, for the did it work piece. And once we do that, then we would move it to what we would say a beta pool. And so these aren't people that are friends or family of Neurohacker Collective. They would just be people that have expressed an interest in being early testers of things in development. And depending on the product, the number of people there are typically has ranged from about 50 to 75. And the duration has often been 30 days, but um, you know, we'll go with the beauty end of this. Chase, um, who is you know, one of the Neurohacker Collective teams mentioned I could tease this, but we'll be sending out within, I think two weeks for a three month trial, a skin product, like an, a beauty from within product. And that one will go out to 75 people for a really extended duration of time because that's a lot different than a nootropic that you should ideally feel within five days. So depending on what the, the goal of the did it work, the number of people, the duration of time it will be out to testing will really vary. And then what kind of um, results are you looking for? Or what kind of questions do you ask? For I mean, for instance, with the skin stuff, like how do you quantify or measure that, especially, you know, like with a, a diverse pool of people probably all around the world, you know, are you asking them to submit pictures or to, um, to answer multiple choice questions? Maybe you can talk about like, how do you determine the effectiveness? Yeah, at that stage, it would be all um, questions. And what we'll do is we'll find 
and this is usually from ingredient studies, were there any validated questionnaires that have been used, like sleep's the easy one, the PSQI is by far the preferred way to subjectively measure sleep outcomes. For beauty from within, there's not there's nothing that I would say is the equivalent, but there are several things that have been used in studies. So really what we did is we reviewed all those and then collectively, uh, since it's part of our name, the science team decided upon which one we would use to. So I've worked with nutraceuticals for, you know, a decade now. And what's really cool about some of these, you know, nutraceutical, nutropic companies is they'll actually have third-party labs then do testing for their formulations, which is really cool. So sometimes companies don't even have to pay for the research themselves. They'll actually have these other individuals do third-party lab testings. And if you haven't incorporated photography into your analysis of some of your studies for improving the skin from the inside out, which I'm a huge fan of, things like superoxide dismutase, but what I see a lot of these nutraceutical companies doing is actually looking at the, fo- the photos and measuring things like, is there diffuse redness on the skin? Has that been able to be uh, reduced from reducing inflammation from the inside? And also things like age spots, right? Acne, things like that, that can actually come from within. So I do encourage you to add that layer of photography into your testing. So that would be the next stage. So right now we would feel like, one photography, like we've done some just original um, um, before and afters on individual ingredients or like mini stacks. And what we've found to date is um, the it would be something we would want a more controlled environment, have people come in so that we could control and make sure the lighting's the same every time, et cetera. And right now, our offices unfortunately still work from home until at least the end of June. So it's just something we can't currently do and feel like we could control the consistency enough to get meaningful information back from that. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Lighting matters. The the camera lens matters. There's so many little fine, you know, uh, parts to this whole thing that really make a difference. Uh, but I think that we're definitely going to have to get uh, Rachel some of the into the beta program for sure. Sure, I would love that. <laughs> um, but I, I want to get back to kind of this, um, you know, plethora of ingredients that is signature to NeuroHacker. And, you know, the one thing that I've talked to a lot of people about, you know, particularly uh, my audience for, you know, Katie Type A on YouTube is, you know, when you isolate and you test one ingredient at a time, it does make it a lot easier for the end user to really track their results, to really understand what the side effects might be quickly. So what would you say NeuroHacker's counterpoint to this argument would be? So I would say that's an awesome way to go about it if you're trying to create your own stack personally. But we're trying to create a stack that's going to help you know more people than... Um, so really, a metaphor within um, biohacking that, I, that I'm a big believer in and I, our company is, and it's your mileage may vary. So usually you'll see YM... Your mileage, YMMW, right? Um, so basically, the gist of that is that we're not, um, we don't believe that we can produce a product that will work as well for me as and everyone else across the board. So my metaphor when I um, test out products, the, the did it work phase is 
I believe there's going to be a subset of super responders that basically get a better than average response. There'll be good responders. There'll be you know essentially non-responders, people that it just didn't work for, and then potentially a subset of negative response as responders. So the people basically that had some unwanted effect from it. So our goal isn't to get all responders and super responders. We just don't think that's possible in a product that's being sent out to a large audience. But our goal is to get to our threshold is 80% in those two buckets and um, negative responders we don't want. So what we're really trying to do is get a high percentage of super responders. So kind of shift the bell curve in that direction. And when like conversely, if you were starting, say, from scratch as an individual and saying, I want to you know, find my own super responder stack, that would be your strategy would work, right? Adding one thing in, adjusting and building from from there. We don't really have that luxury. So what we'll do is we'll start with finding things that are complementary or things that would address a particular maybe pathway as a nootropic and then start by stacking mini stacks together. Because we do have the bandwidth to do that. Does that make sense? Yep. And sometimes that can actually make things easier for people. So say, for example, I wanted to recommend some things for my parents. And Katie, I absolutely love your video on how to approach biohacking for your loved ones. Trust me, I am putting that into action. And so I give my parents some recommendations of some things to take, like nootropics, like some mushroom-based tinctures, like some pre-probiotics. So I definitely see that there can be a benefit to stacking to kind of simplify things, uh, which can be helpful. My question around manufacturing is I see some different things happening, especially in, um, you know, nutraceuticals and uh, different supplements to help hair, skin, nails, because I mean, let's face it, that can be a wonderful side effect or benefit of giving your body the peptides and antioxidants that it needs to function optimally and be at that homeostasis. So when I look at some of the trends that I see for products, they'll say, you know, manufactured in the USA or manufactured in France or Canada, but they're still sourcing ingredients from countries that are known for, you know, sneaking in high levels of lead and and other things. So tell us about your manufacturing and where you source your ingredients from. So our ingredients are sourced from all over. Um, I mean, we would have, really, it just depends. So um, in Qualia Life, which is a, a mitochondrial support, NAD support product, we have um, a, a grape extract that's from the Rhone Valley in France. Um, you know, and, you know, we had a reason for having it. So um, so it really varies. But what um, what I would say is good manufacturing practices all ingredients are, we would get a um, certificate of analysis from the vendor, but they're all then tested to make sure that they meet those specifications. And then all the final products are also tested to make sure the final product meets those specifications. So that's, I mean, I, I'm sure there's some bad actors still in this space, but I think of that as compared to the 90s when I first got in this and a lot of the brands you saw did their own manufacturing. Now, the 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 criteria and the guidelines are just much more robust. So I would say, yes, that might happen. But, uh, you know, my story, at least, is the supplement industry has come a long way. 
I love that you also mentioned France because uh, as we know with wine, right, Katie, you have training in wine and, and so do I. And the terroir or where ingredients are made also relates to, you know, what's the environmental situation around where those things are grown? Are they using pesticides? What's the quality of the water? So when you said France, that actually made me really happy because you know what I'm we're talking about. <laughs> well, you know, what's, um, I mean, to me, there's certain like, um, Europe is way ahead of the U.S. in the beauty from within category. I mean, the two regions that have really driven that would be Japan, South Korea, and then Europe. So the best ingredients in terms of, you know, the ingredients being independently studied using typically a range of objective measures are from those regions for that category. For something like Altheany, that originally came out of Japan because the, I mean, it's a, something found naturally in green tea, and the company that isolated it and started to study it was Japanese. So depending on the ingredient, it really can have a different, like I would say, origin point. Um, but I love the, like, as Neurohacker Collective really likes the sustainability piece and the traceability. And so ashwagandha, as an example, we use in a few different products. And it's historically been one of the most adulterated ingredients. Basically, you know, that means they'll do other things to make it pass the test. But that one, I believe personally that it's much, it's very important to buy a branded one, um, you know, because then typically they can trace that all the way to the farm. You know, so that like as an example, the the grape extract I mentioned, Biovin, it's one of the reasons I liked that they work with local farmers and they have a traceability program that tracks it from those farms all the way ultimately till it gets to us. I think that is kind of the missing link in the nootropic space right now is like the ingredient source and being able to kind of go back. I mean, it's almost like this kind of farm to table idea, but in the supplement space where you're actually able to look at the ingredients and sort of identify where they came from. Um, and it really does help validate some of the, you know, the efficacy of those, of those, um, supplement, uh, formulations. So, um, just to, to backtrack for a second, did you say the manufacturing process, um, happens, is it outsourced or does it happen in-house? We do, we use a contract manufacturer. Actually, we have a few that we rely on. And so, um, the way it would have been say in the eighties and nineties, when the supplement industry was in its infancy, you had a lot of small companies that did their own manufacturing. And so the quality was hugely disparate. So in the 90s, I actually worked for a, a company, Thorn. They were called Thorn Research. Now they're just Thorn. And they set the standard really at that point for purity and manufacturing excellence. And, you know, they were super successful because the, there was a lot of room for the bar to be raised in the 90s. Um, but in the early 2000s, the government came in because of all the issues in the industry and set a lot more stringent um, good manufacturing processes. So now it, it would be prohibitive for a small company to try to take that on. When there's And so what's then happened is these big contract manufacturers have stepped in over the last couple of decades that simply put, that's what they excel at. So where we can excel at doing the research, putting together things, testing them out, and um, you know, ultimately finding a home for them, the contract manufacturer is much more suited to do what really needs to be done to produce a world-class supplement today. 
Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I am curious, just you know, from your perspective now, you've you. I mean, you've been part of Thorn. You're now part of Neurohacker. You've seen lots of changes happening in this nootropic space. So, what would you say right now are some of the biggest roadblocks that your company is facing in this whole world of like smart drugs. And you can, you know, feel free to elaborate on, you know, uh, you already talked about quality, but you can talk about like, you know, certain ingredients that you're, you know, can't use and um, even just the stigma around it as well, you know, so getting it, getting that into popular mainstream, um, you know, uh, the, the mindset of people is still kind of, you know, evolving. So maybe you could just walk us through some of those roadblocks. Um, well, I don't know that I would say roadblocks, but the if you think classically in nootropics, the original nootropic, and we talked about this briefly before we started recording, were the racetams, um, which, so there's, like, if you think simply, there's uh, regulated drugs, so things that are in the drug pipeline through the FDA, and there's dietary supplements. But then there's a range of things that don't neatly fall into one or the other category. And racetams would be one of those. You know, so they're, they're nootropic compounds, but they, they never found a path into the, the drug pipeline, but they're, they don't meet the criteria to fall into dietary supplements. So I tend to call those gray, gray area things. So it, it's... I, Early on in Neurohacker Collective, we were more open to at least you know doing N of one testing on these gray area things. Where now we've you know we've kind of grown out of that phase. So now if it's not something that would be viewed as a, a legal dietary supplement, we just don't use it. Um, it could be super valuable for people to do N of one self testing with it, but it's just not something that we currently would put on our menu. Uh, and that's more just a risk landscape thing at this point than a judgment on its value. Does that make sense? Before we started recording, you were sharing us some of sharing with us some of your previous experience working in the Navy in the 80s. Uh, you know, I had some family members involved in that space as well. And some trends that we're seeing. So we're seeing people like Naveen Jain, who's basically purchased the research and development from the US military to then create a product called Biome. And you know that technology has been used been used with astronauts and in the military to help bolster people's immune systems for various different um, things that they could be exposed to. And also air purifiers, it's, it's, you know, it's coming from NASA. So I'm curious with, you don't have to get into details and say things that you're not supposed to say, but with some of the things that you were exposed to in your previous work, how has that really sparked your you know, keen passion about helping people live healthier and potentially using things like nootropics to help them get there. Yeah. So, um, so I was an officer in the Navy on active duty from 84 to 89. So five years and change. And, you know, so I, my knowledge of the Navy is fairly dated. The last time I did anything was in the reserves in naturopathic school in the early to mid nineties. But back then, like a, a few things, one, if you think in terms of the ideal recommendations biohackers would make for eating an environment, it was pretty much the opposite of that across the board, right? Like sleep deprived, rotating shift work, poor quality food, way too much of it, you know, four meals a day. 
serve when you're out at sea, mostly cafeteria style food. Um, you know, people that already had their plate full with as much work as possible and you would jump more and more constantly on it, right? So, you know, that work stress. Um, you know, so there was lots of things that were challenging in the environment. And um, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is that we only have so much mental energy to go around. So like a, a big emphasis of Neurohacker Collective would be the word energy. Um, it, it's a theme in the quality of mind, the quality of mind essentials, quality of life, even in quality of um, night, the nootropic for the evening. Um, so basically the gist of it would be if you would take that setting, most of the, the officers and enlisted people were using all the mental energy they had and in a situation that wasn't really designed to um, optimize that or even, you know, <laughs> make it so it would be at an average level. And my experience from that time period through naturopathic school, from being in practice, from working with students, is that most, um, most areas can be improved if we have more mental energy available. And, and if we don't, asking people to change or to do new things, it's just really hard for them, right? They're, they're, the system doesn't have the resources. So an overwhelming focus of mine and Neurohacker Collectives are, is, can we do things that will upgrade that performance? So that someone will have the energy to follow through on their good intentions. So like, I think that's why ultimately we started with Quality of Mind as our first product, because the brain can work better if you can feel like you have more energy and more motivation, more focus, then a lot of the other things just fall in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can just kind of speak to that personally, uh, with just, you know, kind of my career in the, in the past few years. And it took a, a long time to kind of get the, um, everything sort of in order and working in the way I, w I wanted it. But now it's kind of like a well-oiled machine. And it's because, you know, once you sort of set the wheels in motion, essentially, which is what you're doing on a daily basis, you know, through uses of nootropics and eating healthy, everything around you trickles down and starts to rise up as well. So, you know, it might seem so simple, but just the idea of, I mean, like, and we don't even have to talk about placebo effect here, but like, even just like, there's been studies on how people just thinking about changing their mindset can actually help um, get them into more of an elevated level of clarity, which then makes, then they make better food choices and they make better exercise choices. They start going to bed earlier. So it's like, it's a ripple effect from, you know, just one change in the trajectory of their life. So that was a very long-winded way of kind of getting around to my, my next question about the actual quality of mind. Uh, supplement. So this is the first thing that I ever tried uh, as part of Neurohacker Collective. And then as of late, you kind of came out with this Qualia Mind Essentials, which was previously known as Qualia Focus. And I was a huge fan of that. So for listeners who are thinking about kind of just adding a nootropic layer to their current routine, what is the biggest difference between those two? And why is Qualia Mind priced so much higher than the Essentials? The, um, it's really the ingredients. The, the, the core of both is identical. So the, the essentials and mind have 24 ingredients in common. So all, everything in essentials is also in mind, but some of them are at higher amounts. Um, but what was left out ended up being just very, very expensive ingredients at the doses that we use. 
And so by removing those four pieces, we were able to both reduce the capsule count, which for some people is a big advantage, and dramatically drop the price. Um, the trade-off is the things that were removed are really great at stress, at building the membranes of the brain, which for long-term memory is very important, especially if those things aren't in the diet. So like DHA, as an example, um, an average vegan vegetarian gets very low amounts of that in the diet. Even the population as a whole, uh, my recollection is that um, the government agencies have basically said for DHA and EPA combined, the target would be about 250 milligrams a day. And the last data I saw on that was that about one out of eight people met that target. So like as a whole, we don't do a very good job of eating enough seafood to get there. So just having enough DHA in a product to fill that gap in, we think is really important, but it's very pricey and it takes up capsule space. The same um, phosphatidylserine would be another thing that is in mind, but didn't make it into essentials. And that's something, again, very good for the membranes of the brain and something that we struggle to get enough of in our diet. So uh, PQQ would be another one, super good for our mitochondria. So um, so if price isn't a, an issue and capsule count isn't an issue, mine just is a superior product. But in terms of what I've seen in our testing of them, over a five-day period, it, people have a really difficult time discriminating between them. So most of the benefits of mine are, are more things that would skew over time. I see, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because when I look at skincare and I'm, say, for example, looking at an antioxidant serum, antioxidant serums are typically a little bit higher, you know, price point compared to, say, a standard moisturizer because of the higher levels of antioxidants like vitamin C, like vitamin E, like hyaluronic acid, and all sorts of other things, mandelic acid. And I do see this also happening in some nutraceuticals that, you know, that I've worked with for, you know, nearly a decade. And I'll see kind of like the, the basic antioxidant enzyme, and then I'll see another one that still has the same core ingredients, but then say, for example, has a few other enzymes added to say, reduce things like hyperpigmentation. So I do, uh, I see that a lot in both the skincare and nutraceutical industry, that the price variances is related to uh, say, for example, higher levels of actives in another ingredient, because, you know, that's going to add to the cost having more of those. I get it. Yep. It's a, it's um it's really the main reason the, um and and our goal really is always to the does it work piece so we're very confident that essentials does the job so I think that's a great entry place as a nootropic for people new into it um, if you know you're under more stress you know you're not getting some of these lipid soluble things in your diet then it could be worth paying the extra to get mined. So looking at the entire Qualia line kind of as a whole, you've got Qualia Immune, Qualia Life, Qualia Sleep, you know, um, Qualia uh, Mind and Mind Essentials. If money was literally no object for people, would you recommend people take the entire line of supplements each day, like the, the you know, dedicated amount? Or, you know, how, how would you kind of um, point people in the right direction here? 
So um, one, I don't recommend taking everything every day. I'm a big believer, um, just like you would with exercise. You wouldn't do the same workout every day. So for nootropics, for frankly, most supplements, uh, skin interventions may be you know, I would take off the table. Those, a lot of those at day in, day out is a really good routine to get in. But for nootropics, I would say I would be anti every day. So I, our base recommendation is five days on, two days off, but that's not set in stone. So if, you know, you wanted to do four and three, um, and then we do recommend periodically taking a week off to deload would be the exercise term, right? Just to, to take a break from it, to let your system, um, I guess, avoid the tendency for complex systems like our body and brain to adapt to things. You know, so if we know if we do the same exercise routine week in and week out, at some point we'll probably plateau. So my, my belief is that tends to be the case for most things. So, so I guess the everyday piece, I would say no. <laughs> like the opposite recommendation, like create some variability. Um, in terms of taking then all the different products, I mean, I do that now. I have some friends that do it. Obviously, other people at Neurohacker do. Some biohackers I know do it. Um, but usually my recommendation, and this comes back to working when I, with patients when I was in practice, is let's let's start and then add things in. So don't start with all of them. <laughs> Maybe, you know, uh, mind or essentials are a good place to start. And the recommended dose for essentials, as an example, is five a day. But I know some people that do great microdosing. So they'll take one or two and feel like, for me, that works really well. Other people take the full five. I know a few people that would take more than that. But generally, I would say five is, for most people, you're going to get enough um, caffeine in five to to get where you need to go. I have a question for you. So I write academic journals, peer reviewer, much like yourself. So super nerds uniting. Here we go. Is that recommendation for kind of um, taking breaks on supplements, is that backed by any type of clinical research? Or have you just simply seen that work anecdotally in your experience working with clients? Because, you know, both are actually kind of valid. I'm just curious. So, um, so what I have seen in the so I have not seen this in the research. It's really coming more out of um, what I would say a principle than like a study, um, and it would be a com complex adaptive science type of principle. Um, but what I have seen is, uh, um, and this is fairly common when you look at long-term studies of supplements and, and frankly even medications, that the first month to eight weeks it'll look really good. By six months it'll have stopped working, right? So the like adaptive systems like our brain and body, they adapt, right? They learn and, um, you know, essentially outwit things. So very commonly in long-term supplement studies, they work way better at the beginning than the end. Or I saw, um, this was a study on something to boost NAD. They measured it at four weeks and eight weeks. And at four weeks, it rocked. But at eight weeks, you'd already seen it over the hill and starting to descend. So I know it would be hard for the audience to see, but I think of an upside down U. Like it's basically a, a, a adaptational curve. And we know this happens for things like alcohol and exercise. And my belief, and that's all I can really say it is, is that everything pretty much tracks through that curve. So what we want to do is gain the increasing part and make sure that we um, don't crest it and start to descend the other side. And short breaks tend to do that. So even if we take something like um, fasting, um, 
the people that have really researched that the most. So like Walter Longo's lab, um, he's the fasting mimicking diet person, just to put it in context. I've spoken to them a few times and it's the the fast and the refeeding, right? It's the, the not doing it and then the doing it. For exercise, we know it's the the doing it, but then the recovery piece. So that recovery piece, I believe is super important, whether it's supplements or exercise. And so what we have then seen is, because Quality of Mind's been out in the world now for you know multiple years, and we do have people that have taken it long-term and still uh, benefit from it. So we haven't seen that adaptation when people take these breaks from it. Mm-hmm. I actually had to um, take a, a break by accident from it um, uh, right around Christmas time because I didn't get my order in on time and I was traveling. And so I actually was off it for about a week and a half and uh, much to my dismay. But then when I when I went back on it, it was like, it felt like it, I had taken it for the first time again. Like I, it almost acts like the way if you were to go on a long caffeine break and then you take it for the first, you drink caffeine again and you're like, oh, that's why it feels so great, you know, because you desensitize over time and you're just kind of used to always feeling amazing. But then, you know, we actually talked to a nootropic, nootropics expert, um, Lucas Owen, who um, is out of Australia, and he sometimes takes nootropics to make him feel worse in the short term in order to feel better in the long term. And he calls that the snapback theory. So in some ways, you know, kind of taking that principle and just applying it to withdraw of of the supplement altogether or withdraw of anything, you know, food is included, you can sometimes, your body can really quickly jump back into that, you know, higher state um, much faster. Yeah, well, there's, um, so there's a physiological law called Hook-Weber law. Um, I made it all the way through pre-med and naturopathic school without ever encountering this and then stumbled on it in a psych, um, psychology book. But because of the gist of it, th- this was um, work done on um, our senses, so hearing and vision. Um, and the analogy would be if you walked into a completely dark closet and lit one candle, drastic change, right? We would notice a difference. But if you walked into that same closet and there was already 100 candles and lit one more, you might not even notice it. Right, so it's not just change; it's the proportion of change, which is why hearing's a decibel system, as an example. Right, it's a log system, and so receptors on our cells. So um, caffeine is very powerful chemical or compound that acts on receptors, uh, the adenosine receptor system, and its receptors are like the ears and eyes of our cells. That would be a, a very perf, like a, I think a, a very useful analogy. And just like that candlestick metaphor, they rely on change. So when they're the constant amount of caffeine, day in, day out, day in, day out, we're basically not creating that change anymore. And just disrupting that for a little bit, we've now created a dark closet. And so now when we light the candle by adding caffeine in, we get that big change again. So that's, again, it's a principle, but I think it's a really valid principle. And other than things, like if you need to be on thyroid medication from your doctor, then take that every day or insulin. But for things that aren't in that category, trying to work with change, I think can be a real upgrade for most people. I love what you just mentioned about, you know, the information that you learn here isn't medical advice. You must, if you think you have a health condition, you must seek the guidance of a licensed physician. But I think there's so many things that we can have running in the background, like nootropics, to help our different states. And I love what you mentioned about actually 
bringing the the Weber law psychology into the mix, because that's exactly what I think Lucas was talking about. It's when you can create that degree of contrast for you to notice it. It's just how you said it was a more technical way. So for our audience here, it's when you have that contrast and you feel good and then you don't feel good and then you take your cell phones again when you remember and, and you, you notice the differences. Uh, just to clarify that, I thought that was a really great point. Yeah, well, well, you'll even see that used a lot. It's um, Have you ever talked about contrast hydrotherapy? Like basically the use of hot and I cold. do that all the time. I go in the ocean for seven, eight minutes up to my jawline. I, I love it. Yeah, so like think of the hot sauna, then the cold shower, or, you know, jumping in the, the um, from a sauna into the snow in Finland, as they would do in the winter. But in naturopathic school, we learned a lot about using hydrotherapy um, as an intervention. And one of the core principles was to create contrast. So, you know, go from hot to cold and then back and forth a couple times. Um, it would be, our belief was always end with cold for a few different reasons, but it's that contrast. And so here in San Diego, like, so I lived in Idaho when I worked for Thorne. So I, I could get super cold water in the winter, <laughs> but in San Diego, not so much. So all I can really do with a shower is create contrast, but a few cycles, I can really dial up hot by the end by going back and forth a few times. I can't really do much to get it colder than the base level, but I can do a lot to create contrast. So I, yeah, I would say, you know, I'm a big fan of creating contrast and change and done appropriately. So. Yeah, I know. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that, you know, what you say is a, it's, it raises a really good point. There are so many different modalities in addition to nootropics that we can use every day to get us to feel better and optimize our health. So I know we're kind of closing in on time here. So tell us just, you know, quickly from a formulations perspective, what can we expect to see from NeuroHacker in say the next five to 10 years? I'm so excited. I, we already got a sneak peek on the beauty side of things, but what else is coming down the pipe? So right now we have a product out to testing that's for people that would be on screens a lot to help our eyes with the stress of blue lights. And I mean, the, the amount of screen time in the world was bad pre the, um, the lockdown in the last year. I saw something, um, I, Nielsen did a survey back in the summer and in the, the 250 to 300 participants, they average 13 plus hours on screens a day. So pre pre this, it was you know a lot, but now it's crazy high. So what I've seen with a lot of biohackers is they have um, vision issues that they're unaware. You know, some are aware that it's because of the screen, but some are, are unaware that these are things that are being caused by the stress there. So that one, um, you know, it's in the desert work phase. So we'll see what happens. The skin will be moving into the desert work phase soon. Um, we're experimenting right now with a nootropic that would be two capsules and, um, to see if we can get something, um, it, I don't think it will end up being as strong as essentials, definitely not as strong as mind, but we'd like to see if we can get something for the audience that would be disinclined to take, you know, five capsules. Um, so that's, you know, in process, uh, do you know the term senolytic? So, there's a couple different theories of aging, but one of them would be that aging happens because it's we accumulate all this damage in our cells. And senescent cells are sometimes called zombie cells. So they're, they're cells that aren't healthy, but they've been frozen so that you don't go down a pipeline towards um, cancer, right? But what has 
been found out over the last decade is senescent cells like zombies can make other cells into senescent cells. They, they kind of create a, an inflammatory background. So we'll be testing out, I'll be testing out personally, um, starting this weekend, a senolytic stack, something that's intended that you take just for a day or two once a month to decrease the burden of senescent cells. So it'd be in the anti-aging That's category. cool. Because I know for some, um, you know, fat disrupting technologies, they use cryolipolysis to stimulate, you know, fat cell death, right? Which is really cool. So I'm uh, looking forward to the future on that. So that's, and then um, we've got a whole bunch of things on our pipeline. We've um, been working on a mood product. So that one we've done, um, you know, a couple of stages of testing, but we we want to, try to perfect that more. Um, I'd like to do something in the post-workout that would be for recovery, but with like an, you know, um, essentially something that if you took would help you, you perform better in whatever that exercise activity or event was, but um, in part because it's really helping the, you know, like knocking down inflammation, helping um, with the rejuvenation piece that, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, you know, a lot of people I've known over the years do great in the doing phase of exercise, but they're not getting all the benefits because the recovery phase could use some work. Um, and then we have a whole bunch of other areas that we're, we're interested in. Um, the other thing that Neurohacker Collectives, uh, um, that we've really had a lot of success in is our podcast, Collective Insights. So, you know, the, I, I would imagine over time we'll have more hosts, like more channels, basically. We already had Heather that, that did a great job and has had, you know, we, Dave Asprey and Andrew Weil and more recently Deepak Chopra. But now Jamie Wheel has his own channel that's, you know, a little bit different focus. So my guess would be Neurohacker would will build out, you know, maybe our podcast and have more different channels over time. So I, I think I know the education piece, like the two of you, has always really jazzed me. So Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been such an amazing educational download on all things nootropics and um, longevity and, and immune health. And there's just so many things. We are so grateful for your time and for your expertise and, and all of the amazing information that you shared with us. All of the links to Neurohacker Collective will be in the show notes below and you guys can um, check them out. And I, I know that you guys are always having some amazing sales for people to at least give it a shot and try it for a month. So I would definitely encourage you guys to, to look into that for sure. Thank you again, Dr. Greg, so much for your time. And uh, yeah, let's have you back on um, maybe after uh, after we see some more um, you know tests done with the the beauty supplement because I'm, I'm sure that would be a really, really great way for us to kind of yeah i mean that was a fun project so again you know we'll, we'll see if it you know how it does in the does it work stage but yeah we'd love to have you participate so i'll make sure that we um, get that lined up so anyways thank you so much for awesome, having me on today awesome yes have a wonderful rest of your day and we will uh, definitely be in touch thank you all for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next one